0: Hello and welcome to the That's Afterlife podcast with DM Esther Anson and Adrian Mills.
1: Well, hello again. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Adie, how are you today?
0: I'm good, Esther. The sun is out and I'm always in a much better mood when it's uh, light and bright.
1: Well, I'm in a very odd mood because I've just had my second jab being of advanced years. What really struck me was how excited I was actually to meet other human beings, albeit they all were masked, obviously, and they were all doing a job. So it wasn't exactly a cocktail party, but still it was so revitalizing in a way.
0: Who'd have thought a social day out would be at a vaccination center? It's
1: weird, isn't it? <laughs> now, what we've um, really been looking forward to so much is our guest this week, Katie Price, who has achieved real fame, I think, for the campaigning work she's done on behalf of her son, Harvey, who has learning difficulties. And she's talking about the the kind of hate crime that he's suffered and the trolling that's made him feel so, made her feel so much under siege, really. And she's got a very important petition that she's hoping to go to parliament on the subject. So we're going to talk to her about that and also about her previous life as Jordan.
0: Interesting enough, a lot of people I know saw the documentary with her uh, son, Harvey, and they have changed their opinion. Uh, but the documentary, incredibly moving.
1: Very moving. And her showing extraordinary courage, I think, and very focused on trying to make life bearable, not just for Harvey, but for many others who have learning disabilities or have family members or friends with learning disabilities. But obviously, we're going to have a bit of fun as well and a bit of laughter.
0: A little bit of gossip, we hope.
1: Have we heard from any of our loyal listeners this week?
0: Well, we certainly have. I've got uh, lots of emails. Uh, this one in particular uh, made me smile. It's uh, Sheila in Birmingham. She writes, dear Esther and Adrian, you always seem to be laughing and enjoying yourselves on that Life. Did you have alcohol before you went on
1: set? Never. I used to have one glass of white wine after the show. It always amazes me that Graham Norton and his guests always have a drink in front of them and swig away during the show. I I, I, I would be too scared to do that.
0: I, I'm inclined to agree with you.
1: Well, I mean, think of the people who were clearly... Can you say pissed in a podcast? I think you can.
0: Well, <laughs> beep, beep, beep. Right?
1: <laughs> Absolutely, I, I mean, Oliver Reed, of course, was the famous one. Oh, yes. And I was always actually rather sorry for Oliver. I did meet him um, because the thing about him was that he was profoundly dyslexic and extremely bright. So all his time in school, they thought he was stupid because he couldn't read or write very well. And I think some of that violence and some of the drink was due to that.
0: Well funny enough where I live over at Wimbledon that it's where uh, Oliver Reed used to be and there is the Reed pub crawl once a year usually to celebrate his <laughs> birthday but uh, but I don't think anybody could drink quite like uh, Oliver Reed.
1: No but on That's Life you know the only drunk I can remember was a crow. We had a drunk crow and actually you can find it on the internet. I think Glyn Worsnip uh, interviewed it if you can interview a crow and, and it's Flapped up to the bar in a pub and dipped its beak into, into the beer <laughs> and then flapped away, looking, you know, very awkward and zigzagging across the floor. It was great.
0: So, if you've got any uh, clips of uh, talented birds or talented pets, then uh, send them to Hello at that's afterlife.com that's hello at that's afterlife.com
1: mind you there's a a lot of competition you've got a talking dog to compete with but in fact obviously any we'd like to hear from you about anything or everything Um, life hacks jobs worths i'd love to hear a few complaints about jobs worth anything you want us to deal with I've got
0: an electrician working outside and I was saying, can you keep the noise down? Because I'm recording today with Esther Ranson, And he went, Esther Ranson, she was my MP or was going to be up in Luton. And I thought, wow, what made you stand for election as an MP?
1: The worst possible motive in the entire world? Anger. Never, never do anything in anger.
0: What do you mean, anger? Why? why, What happened?
1: It was the time of the expose of all the MPs' expenses. You remember?
0: Oh, yes, yes.
1: The MP in Luton South was among the worst. Um, I think she'd spent something like £25,000 eradicating dry rot from a house which was neither in her constituency in Luton nor in Westminster. It was in Southampton, near where I am now. So I knew that it was nothing to do with her political career. Anyway, somebody sent me up to do a report, I think for ITN, about how people felt about her. And wherever I went, people grabbed my hand and said, we need you, Esther. Why don't you stand for Parliament? Well, I got angry on their behalf. And I said, well, I might do that. And then I went into the celebrity jungle where there was Robert Kilroy Silk. And he had stood as an independent MP. And he said, don't do it, Esther, because although they will grab your hand and swear blind that they will vote for you, in fact, they won't, because when the moment comes on election day, they will go into the polling booth and vote the way they always did, because we're so tribal. How right he was. And that cost me £15,000, because being an independent candidate, I had to pay for all my leaflets to be printed and posters, which I've still got, because as discussed, I'm a hoarder. Uh, saying, vote for me, and nobody did. Your country needs you. Um, did you think you, you were in with a chance? Um, I didn't know, but it was an experience worth having because it does, people invite you to all kinds of places. I visited schools and the Irish club and a bingo session.
0: But weren't your family saying, Esther, don't do this? They were. Hang on a minute. We've heard this sort of line of story before. You didn't listen.
1: I never have a plan B. That's my stupidity. Why don't I have a plan B? Most people would think
0: of Esther Anson as somebody that probably is very methodical in terms of thinking (laughs) things through. It sounds to me that you tend to go with the flow and if the, the mood takes you, you'll just go with it to see how far you can take it.
1: Well, that's hence, you see, child line and hence the silver line because actually I get sort of totally absorbed with a challenge that comes my way some of them more worthwhile than others and uh, you know at, at the end I turn around and think why did I do that but actually I'm thrilled you know that it led to the launch of child line and I'm thrilled that it led to the launch of the silver line and I'm thrilled that it led to the launch of a podcast with Adrian Mills
0: when I've talked about this podcast
1: they said Esther why isn't she just relaxing I don't think you ever can The thing that COVID has taught me, it's it's taught me that there is a work-life balance. But the thing that I most enjoy by real delight these days is being with my grandchildren. And, of course, at the moment as I speak, we can't meet. We only meet via Zoom. So Mm. in the end of the day, what matters in your life are the people. As long as one prioritises them, and I'm not sure I always have in my life, Mm. I thought I did, but I'm not sure I did. Never mind. Never mind. There's no point. I'm with Edith Piaf. Je ne regrette rien.
0: Oh, Hang on, hang on, hang on. Tonight, Matthew, I'm going to be... Does this ring a bell? You did this on Stars in Their Eyes.
1: I did one of her songs. I did La Vie en Rose, not uh, the one I just... Ah. spat on the microphone, trying to say, non, je ne regrette rien. The one that goes, quand tu me prends dans tes bras. Oh, I can't remember the words now, but anyway, I sang it in my haunting baritone and I nearly won. (laughs) And good heavens, Adie, I'm happy to tell you our special guest has arrived, Katie Price herself. Oh, there we are. It is so great to see you. You have had about 18 different careers. You've been a glamour <laughs> model. You've been an author. You've been a Eurovision song contest entrant. You've been a businesswoman. You've been a reality show star. So what does it say on your passport? What is your occupation?
2: Do you know what, it's weird because in the beginning, I would say I was a model. Then it was a model author. Then it was a model author, reality star. And now I just put entertainer. Yeah. And all round on t- entertainer. There's not enough room actually to put individually what I am.
1: <laughs> now, speaking of all round, when we first met and I was looking at your autobiography and I saw pictures of you when you were 18 and just started modelling. And there was this gorgeous kid. Oh, Absolutely <laughs> lovely face, fabulous figure. But you decided it wasn't fabulous enough. So you decided that you had to do something more to it. And you became an all-round model. In fact, you, you at the age of 20,
2: you had your first boob job, did you? Yes. Well, I wanted it done when I was younger. And my mum was like, there's no way you're having that done. You leave your body alone. And I remember phoning my mum just before I went down. Just to let you know, mum, I'm getting my boobs done now. And you can't stop me because I'm just about to go down. She was so unhappy with me. And till this day, if I've had bits and that done, I never tell her because she has phoned the surgeons in, in before. I said, if you do this to my daughter, I'm reporting you.
1: Thinking about the boob job, was it because you wanted to attract men? Was it because you thought it would be good business for you?
2: Do you know, it's the absolute opposite. In fact, I lost a lot of jobs doing it. Um, I, before I was even a model, I wanted my boobs done. Even at school, I wore pads. I always knew I wanted my boobs done. And I remember when I did page three, because they didn't allow fake boobs, they ran a poll in the sun should I or shouldn't I? And the poll was so high that people said, don't do it. But I still went ahead and did it. I had photographers ringing me up saying, don't do it, Kate. My agent was saying, don't do it, Kate. And I still did it because I wanted to do it. And it seemed to have worked.
1: The thing about, if I may stick with your boobs, you'll think I'm hung up on your boobs. but No, I'm... go
2: for it. <laughs> okay. okay. Go for it. They've been with me for all this time, up and down, up and down. Up and down, up yeah. and down, side yeah. to
1: side. Now, it's an obvious way of attracting men, isn't it? I mean, men love boobs. Adrian, do you love boobs?
0: For the purpose of this conversation, of course.
1: <laughs> Very good. But I'm wondering whether you actually like men.
2: So I was in the Priory uh, last year. Finally, I had a breakdown in the end. They did me for severe traumatic rehabilitation. And when they went back to my childhood, my mum and dad split when I was younger. And it's weird to say this, but you are a sponge when you're younger and things that affect you when you're younger, you don't think bother you at the time, but subconsciously it does. Because all through when they look back to why, you know, I had trauma, we know a lot of it why we did. But subconsciously, it's always been about men. Because, you know, things happened to me I was raped at a young age. So my mum's had drama with me, with men, all the time. And then relationships I've had, they've been a lot of wrong relationships. But whereas I've been needy, needy by men, that's probably why I picked the long, long relationships and rushed to the relationships. If only I knew what I knew from coming out of the Priory, it is well, the, the, in my life the only thing that's always let me down is men. It's taken me 42 years to realise that. Now, I would like to
1: have a little conversation with you, Katie, about the press. It's a really interesting sort of love-hate thing you have with the press, which I can absolutely understand because in a way, you owe everything to the fact that you became a national icon, yeah. really, um, with um, your glamour career and, and, and then with the reality shows. But at the same time, maybe you exposed too much of yourself, do you know that?
2: Do you know, you say that, but there's still a lot people don't know about me. I take that point.
1: I understand that. And we'll come on to that in a minute. But you see, what happens is if you present your body just there, you know, nothing, you know, for anybody to enjoy however they choose. And if everything you think and feel comes straight out like a a stream of consciousness, then you make yourself vulnerable. Mm -hmm.
2: They will use that against you. And I think maybe they did. Um, see, I was young. And if I'm honest, I only thought I'd be in the industry not even two years. Mm. So I never dreamed. Because you, I spoke to all our other models. And some of them, you know, were only around two years. Mm. I mean, I'm one about 25 years later, I'm still here. Mm. So it is hard to say because I was young. And my attitude was, well, I go topless on the beach. So yeah. what difference? I wasn't planning to be a model to get my kit off. Can you
1: remember the first time you took your kit off?
2: I remember um, walking up the stairs in this office block, thinking, oh, no, this looks like dodgy. And I remember knocking on the door, and this guy answered. I always thought it was a woman, Beverly. And it was like a little old man, and he was such a nice guy. And I just remember there's all pictures of women all over his wall, topless. (laughs) And I was a bit like, oh, it seems a bit seedy. Like It would be what you would imagine, seedy with all topless pictures, and he had all knickers and but he wasn't at all, such a lovely guy. And I remember he used to order me two jacket potatoes with cheese, onion, loads of butter before a shoot. And he used to say, Katie, you're unbelievable. I can't, I don't know any girl that eats two big jacket potatoes before she does a photo shoot and it doesn't even show. And I remember he had like a mirror there so you could see yourself. It was one of the best times ever doing pastry because I used to look forward to seeing Beverly. He was such a nice guy. And I didn't feel uncomfortable one bit. Let me ask you,
1: your mum hasn't approved of everything you've done. She hasn't approved of your cosmetic surgery. How did she feel about the topless pictures?
2: Well, she didn't know until she worked in an office in London. And uh, they had me as a screensaver when she went into work. And my dad's a builder, Um, because my name was different. It was Jordan, not Kate. And then my brother was at uni and all his friends had posters of me on the wall, but he never told them it was me. None of them were happy with me. Um, you know, I've always been the black sheep of the family. My sister and my brother are, are like the brainy ones. And my mum, like, they're all so brainy, do their masters in things. Like my sister, she does she a master's and degree and all of that in history. And my brother did it in business studies. Whereas me, oh, I just, well, I wanted to train to be a registered nurse, to be fair. And then I ended up doing page three. And here I am 25 years later on. But I still want to, now I want to train to be a paramedic. So It's still there. And I still will go back to learn that because I just love it.
1: Why? What is it that made the little Katie Price want to be a nurse? And even the 42 year old nationally famous and notorious Katie Price still want to be a paramedic. Why?
2: When you get to know me, even my mum says it because she's terminally ill, she knows I'll end up being her carer. I'm the carer out of the family, the caring one, the nurturing one. Hence why I've got loads of kids and I still want more and I love the animals I just love. Stop, stop. You want more? Till I'm not allowed anymore, till the doctor says no more. So I just love kids. I think I love chaos. I think you do. I think you do. Stress, chaos, madness. Absolutely. And I think... Enough is never enough for you. Thing is, I don't really want the doctor to say, you can't have any more, Kate. I want to make that choice. And, you know, Junior and Princess, I mean, and Harvey, they're older now. So it's like a convey about. Now they're old, get another new one, new one. I just love it.
1: So try and find the moment when you say, that's enough, I don't need any more. I don't need to be richer than this. I don't need more husbands than this. I don't need more children than this. I'm content.
2: That isn't. I'm not. Because I'm going to get married again. <laughs> and that is, that is the one. How do you know? How do I know? Because I've had so many rehearsals and now I've found the real deal. And the fact that we met in lockdown, he's looked and nursed after me at my worst possible, breaking my legs. He doesn't put up with any rubbish from me, puts me in my place. Not trying to be famous. He's got his own thing going on. Doesn't need me for nothing. Let's talk
1: now about the, the moment press turned on you, which is when you were married to Peter Andre, weren't you, and making a reality show. And I think you and Pete actually split.
2: One million percent, yeah, bad. All right, do you want to know why I think that was? Yes, I'd love to, I'd love to know because I want to know. I don't never did anything wrong. The funny thing was, that reality show
1: was quite damaging what happened was that it it got into your relationship and it made you look so dominant and it made him look so gentle and you know how it is with television oh god yeah the viewers always like the underdog and it began to look as if Pete, pete was in love with you and trying to do what you wanted and nothing was quite right for you
2: I totally agree, especially towards the end. But you know, the way I look at it now, it happened. You can't change the past, but it's been a horrific journey since then. But all I can say is now I'm still here. I didn't actually push the button to commit suicide, which that's why I went and got help. Um, And I'm here and I will never, ever get in that place or let anyone or anything around me ever get me in that state again.
0: What's interesting is we're talking in the aftermath of Harry and Meghan's interview. Now, she talked about feeling suicidal and struggling with her mental health. Yeah, yeah. What was your take on that?
2: Well, I've been through it, and I know, and unfortunately, mental health is an illness you can't see on the outside, only the inside. There's a couple of things she said, which is true. Character assassination by the media. That's totally been, I've been there. I've been there. And I still go through it now. I've just been looking at stories now that are absolute rubbish that have come out. Now, with the royal family, of course, they have people who put out statements, what they need to do, what you need to do. So she probably did ask for help. And when you look at it, it probably wouldn't have looked good if she was seen going to the priory or something. Katie,
0: do you think people think less of you if you ask for help and enter somewhere like the priory?
2: Yes, I do. I think people think less of you, like, because I've been known to be strong and I'm not a failure. Mm. And you sort of think you're becoming a failure. Now, I had to become a failure and all of that to myself to admit it. But I'm a better person, but I don't think it's weak. Because if people knew what kind of people were in there, you'd be pretty shocked. Proper high business people in there, all sorts of people in there. Mental health is it is an illness. Like, people don't understand. It actually is an illness.
0: Katie, I I was going to say to you that a lot of people, when I mentioned that we were going to talk to you today, they don't know you, but they have a perception of you. The documentary that you made with your son Harvey, I think, changed a lot of people's opinions.
2: But you can see my relationship with Harvey, that we've been so reliant on each other, that we're Mm. so close, our relationship, how we talk to each other. So what you see is raw. That is real. That is me as a real person, as a mum. Take away all my career, put it behind me. You can't knock me for my, what I am as a mother.
1: Yeah, that's very clear from the documentary. And, of course, you're continuing to change attitudes with your current campaign. Where are you up to
2: with that? So I've got Harvey's Law, which is still running. I've been doing that nearly three years, Harvey's Law, and that's to make online trolling a criminal offence. Now, to go along with this one, I've now created a new petition called Track a Troll. Now, in the past, well, it's got worse than, since lockdown, there's so many suicides and stuff like that, and mental health caused by trolls. Have you
1: been a victim of trolling? Has Harvey been the victim of trolling?
2: Yes, yeah, so I've been a massive victim of it, but not as much as Harvey. None of my kids get trolled. Harvey does. For his size, race, disability, and the way he speaks. Um, and he's so vulnerable. He has no idea about any of the hatred, thank God. But I do. It's absolutely horrific. Now, some of the things he gets trolled about—if I said it vocally, people would be shocked. But people, if they read it, they don't take it as seriously or as shocking as if you say it out loud. When really, it should be—it should be accounted as the same thing. Now, most of these people, if you report them, they would just start—they close them down and then just reopen another account. So it doesn't actually stop. But I know that if something was put into place and there was a consequence, it, would slow. it wouldn't would probably stop it all, but it would stop a lot. It's just a no-brainer. MPs, everyone gets trolled. I think if they know there's a consequence, a fine or you're going to register, it would slow down.
1: Who have you got on your side and have you got enough signatures?
2: Yeah, I've got enough now. I've got nearly 150,000 and I only started it three days ago, four days ago. So I'm going to keep going. How does it make you feel? Well, it makes me feel really proud, and I'm not going to stop. I'm really not going to stop, and it's not just for me; it's for everyone. And if I can create some kind of law and save some lives or one life, it, re- it really, does matter.
1: Where do you get this fighting spirit from?
2: Um, my mother, I think, because my mum. Oh uh, yeah, probably from my mum. She's all. My family is so driven, but they're very sporting. They've always been like it. Um, yeah, I'll probably get it from my mum to be honest. You,
1: you enjoy a good fight. Now, let <laughs> me just catch up with where you are, Katie, at the moment. So,
2: are you writing any more autobiographies? Yes, me and Harvey are two in one. I am going to do another autobiography. Um, I need to, it's been four years. But yeah, I just love doing books. Are you going to take part in any more
1: Eurovision song contests? I think you won an award. <laughs>
2: For the worst, probably.
1: <laughs> I think it was actually. I think it was, I think it was the worst song and the worst use of autotune.
2: Oh my goodness. No, that's the, my biggest regret out of anything I've ever done was that I couldn't even sing the song then, and I certainly couldn't sing it now. And the outfit, I mean, what was I thinking? But you know, well, we all have regrets, don't we? And that, that's definitely a big regret.
1: <laughs> so when uh, you get called up to heaven, let's assume, and St. Peter is standing at the gate. And he says, before I let you in, Katie, I have to know what you regret. Okay, so regret number one is Eurovision, taking part in Eurovision.
2: Yeah. Any other regrets you'd like to share with us? Regrets, no, but there's dreams. I would still love to do the Olympics, dressage for the Olympics. I said that before, I'd still love to do that for the GB team. I'm still going to bring out another album. I'm still going to have more kids and bring my empire back. I am not gone. You nearly lost me, but I'm afraid I'm still here and striving.
0: I'm going to interrupt these two very powerful women for a second. <laughs> wow. I think you you are a storm of conversation, Katie. I have to I say. I don't
2: stop me. Trust me. There's loads. I bet Esther has as well. We could sit here all day and have a chat.
0: Because the programme's called uh, That's Afterlife, um, What do you think the afterlife is going to be like and what are you going to take with you?
2: My silicones. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know what will happen in years to come? I'll be dug up and they will just see my silicones are the only things that haven't rotted away. (laughs) I'm
0: joking. It'll be like a time capsule memory.
1: Yeah, it would. Katie, thank you so much. I hope when I have my heart attack, And I'm being carried off in the ambulance. (laughs) I look up into the face of the paramedic and I see boobs I recognize.
2: (laughs) Katie, you were there? Exactly. Oh, I will be.
0: (laughs) Lovely to see you, Katie. Thank you.
2: Thank you, guys. Have a good day. Thank you. Bye. Bye bye. -bye. Gosh, well, now. um,
0: Yes. Well, you see, one, I'm exhausted. That was a racing river of conversation. I mean, we all have a perception of Katie Price, and I think, yet again, this podcast will show a side to her that perhaps people don't know.
1: Yes. I I, I feel that um, she's been fighting all her life. She's determined to win. Mm. And I think, myself, all the cosmetic surgery and all the publicity and all that is because she won't let anything defeat her, she won't be ignored, she won't um, disappear, as she said. And I just wonder what it is, what it is that made her feel that she ran the risk of disappearing. She's very, very interesting.
0: Very interesting. I really wish her luck
1: with her petition. Yeah, absolutely. So do I. Good luck, Katie Price.
0: Esther, time for one last email. Uh, Brian from Canterbury. Dear Esther, Mm. have you ever been to tea at Buckingham Palace?
1: Gosh. Are you allowed to, to say whether or not you've had tea at Buckingham Palace? I know there are all kinds of rules.
0: I don't think they're going to come chop your head off, Esther, as a result.
1: Okay, okay. Yes. I've had tea at Buckingham Palace at a garden party, which was hilarious because... The bishops go, and they're all there in their red and purple dresses, you know. And they flock immediately to the chocolate cake. (laughs) Any any particular reason? Well, it is renowned, Buckingham Palace chocolate cake. And they obviously, you know, have been saving up their taste buds for weeks and and have been really looking forward to it. So that was very funny. And once when I went to a garden party, these, these are all for charities that I'm involved with. Um, and they always have a marching band, and the band was marching up and down, playing trumpets and drums and all those things. And I looked back at the palace, and it, there was one of the big windows, and you could see a curtain was being held back, and a little lady was watching the marching band.
0: Name that little lady.
1: Well, I think it was Her Majesty.
0: Wow. Oh, how brilliant! Esther, please tell me you're not one of these people that uh, wants a memento when you visit the palace and uh, take a toilet roll holder or an ashtray, something like that?
1: No, some people do that, don't they?
0: They do. They do. And they're
1: very proud of uh, announcing
0: it. I'd keep shtum if I was them.
1: But then you started your career as a store detective, didn't you? So probably you've got...
0: Oh, that's a, that's a story for another day, Esther, because sadly that's the end of the podcast. Uh, if you'd like to join us again, please do subscribe to That's Afterlife podcast found on any of your favourite streaming platforms or you can find us on our website, that's afterlife.com. And please, please do remember, we'll be reading your letters, your emails each episode. So make sure you send your views and don't forget those clips of talented pets too. Hello at That's Afterlife.
1: But my recommendation is that if you have been to Buckingham Palace and nicked something of value, don't tell Adrian about it because he'll have you arrested. Bye, Adi. <laughs>
0: bye, bye, Esther. Bye, everyone. That's Afterlife is a Captive Minds production and is series produced by Ross Haley. The creator and executive
2: producer is Liz Mills. <laughs>